and welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. And the oh. dice really are screaming. Oh, boy, they are, are they ever. Yeah. yeah. I, I love how, for the longest time, you know, we have constantly asserted we did not take the name to mean that we were in some way, you know, like, upset. Like, this, this is a show very much about a love of a hobby. But yeah, these days have had a lot to scream about this month. Yeah, and to introduce ourselves, I'm Randy. And I am Mike. Yeah, and we are the half-orc bards of gaming podcasts. <laughs> Armpit percussion specialized. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, the Ogre Oompa Band. Oompa Oompa. <laughs> yep, so hey, uh, welcome. Welcome to the show. We got a lot to talk about. Dual so. cranium <laughs> Giant variant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be, we'll be covering that topic soon enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we got a pretty good uh, show lined up for you. We uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, thanks for showing up. And uh, by the way, uh, if this is your first time, you know, if this is your first time at Texas Screaming, well, you're in for a treat. <laughs> no, actually. If it's your first night at Podcast Club. You have to podcast. Yeah, you have to. You got it. So. Uh, getting in right off to it, we uh promised some calls, and man, it's just we're just gonna have to spread this out. So, uh, starting us out, we're just gonna dive right in face first, uh, right into uh, some call ins. And this is from Dungeon 23, and then we're gonna do our Dungeon 23 recap right after this, and then we're gonna get into some other stuff. But uh, Jason called in with, if you remember, a uh, previous podcast where we did before all this stuff happened, where we talked about. Dungeon 23. So enjoy. Okay, guys. Second message as far as Dungeon 23 goes, I have been doing it since the first of the month. I am actually not a super creative person, so I'm using it more as a daily habit kind of thing. I am doing three months of using the random dungeon generator and the AD&D DMG. Then I'm going to do three months of uh, Matt Finch's Tomb of Adventure Design, three months of the Old Skull Dungeon um, Generator, and I'm going to do three months. I've got another one. Um, anyway, the point being is I, I'm doing three months of each of three or four different generators. Each month I'm going to split in half, so I'll do... 15 level one rooms, 15 level two rooms. So I end up six levels in each one. At the end of the year, I'm going to compare them. So there you go on real graph paper. All right, man. Ah, <laughs> I'm filled with like, you know, simmering jealousy here. <laughs> Just why yeah. do you have better ideas than me? Now I know what it like feels like to be Wizards of the Coast. Oh, <laughs> bam. Get that in right, Ken. Yeah, yeah. Ah. I, I'm sorry. I just super approve. Like that's that's many layers above mere approval. Like I'm so upset that like you've got like first edition DM guide rocking in your dungeon creation. Why did I not think of that? Well, well, at, ah. the, at the core of that, yeah, that's what we're gonna do uh, going in, and it's gonna work out pretty well. I've got the uh, other two top levels mapped out and I'm getting them keyed in. Uh, so far I've put in some stuff like so robber flies and Acropolis. Um, oh, did the watering encounter with a one Thule. Ooh. Probably run if you're at low levels on there. Uh, that's an encounter. And uh, 
Yeah, that's about it. Um, just have a few more to go, but it's kind of fortuitous that we're getting into the first level of the dungeon next month, which is a short one, which combined with this like top mini ruin level. Yeah, we've got the outdoors, like uh, you know, upper area ruined city, be like shells of buildings, you know, a lot of a lot of loose cover and stuff like that, but you know, pretty low key, uh, except. The under, like beneath the city, you have that, uh, you know, catacombs slash, you know, uh, necropolis, uh, you know, um, and opportune caverns that ultimately lead lower. <laughs> and right. So that should be really fun. Yeah. I, so I we should uh, divide that up by using uh, the lower levels as we get in. Definitely should start getting in, I think, at least maybe to level six or seven till we start getting into the caverns. But uh, yeah, we can use the uh, DM's guide, random dungeon generator, all through that. So if you if you really have a hankering for that, don't I feel no, a part of me wants to spin it off as like an entire separate project and just see what randomly pops up. Whereas this, I mean, we're kind of sculpting and crafting here. A little bit, but you know, you know we're, we're working within a we're we've created a boundary to kind of hem it in, to keep it in the boundaries. So that that that's you know our experience with Dungeon Twenty Three as a collaborative. But you know, we can definitely go where wherever the uh, dice lead us. Ha ha ha! I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we can let definitely the dice dictate where it's going to go. The dice are wandering. They are. <laughs> Maybe wandering and on fire. So yeah, oh, they're still not as bad as my attention span. So I'll put some updates on the map so far, and uh, when I get all the key levels done, which I'm actually behind, having to do some stuff, um, we'll definitely get on top of that as fast as uh, as allows. I'll probably have it done by Sunday, maybe Monday. Mm, That's the latest, because I only got like uh, six, seven more rooms to go. All right. But I got some catch up because, you know, I got in the middle of the month and we were been behind and there's been a lot to work on. And a lot of my free time is taken up with reading and listening and watching. So trying to stay ahead of all of the enormous amount of news that is coming out has been challenging because it, it's a lot like being like, here's a lovely little teacup and here's this fire hose <laughs> all of this information is pouring out of the fire hose into the teacups that are our brains with the predictable outcome yeah we're being flung across the room <laughs> <laughs> uh, it has not been easy see this little teacup see how small it is oh yes Let's put it right down on the ground there we're gonna back up <laughs> and turn on the fire hose yeah yeah, it has been amazing. Oh, oh look, it's all shattered now. <laughs> that we've been able to keep up with it at all uh, has been impressive. So, yeah, and there's a lot of people. But we'll get into that in the action OGL news yes. segment coming up in our podcast. But we want to talk about Dungeon 23. So one of the takeaways I had doing this is like, I haven't used robber flies in like so long. Yeah. I thought you were making some kind of hip youth slang or something like that. Uh, but from the basic D&D set or the OS, same I, thing. I didn't even realize that like you were referencing like an in-game monster. I was like, oh, what is that? Like, you know, is that a new insulting term for people who are jerks on the internet? Uh, like, I, I put in a bunch of, I, like, I dealt with a bunch of robber flies. Uh, 
I, I don't know. I, so <laughs> that's how long it's been since I've even used those for anything. I will say that using the treasure type is yeah. always the confusing. I just basically look at the treasure types, and this is DM Confession Hour. Um, forgive me, Dungeon Master, for I have sinned against the Great Kygax. Oh, well, he's not taking, he's not taking the bait on that. He's not being the absolving father, but yeah, forgive me. I have uh, sinned that I, uh, I only use the treasure types as base guidelines and I just fill in great numbers as I see fit. Oh, hey, you know, when you're custom crafting a module one, uh, we're not technically bound by like traditional one yeah. uh, D&D standard. Okay. This, this is dungeon 23 as a project and we're absolutely free to use our creativity in whatever way we see fit so like there's nothing to forgive dude <laughs> i know you don't need absolution for well you know uh, if i see another uh giant rat colony guarding <laughs> a thousand copper pieces i'll probably uh hurl but oh making it 200 copper pieces plus some objects to art and uh, weird stuff yeah it just crawls out of the back of my brain when i'm crafting it i put in the ivory statuette that right i had a, a Shattering. Bronze short sword with jewels set in the, in the hilt worth 50 gold pieces. I mean, you know, a, a large turquoise in the hilt. It's like, okay. Yeah, the, the best loot I put in in one room was really like the uh, remaining possessions of some adventurers who died more recently uh, while being in the area. And they like, it's assumed that the players, if they're searching from house to house or building to building, uh, will find like, you know, four dead. Former adventurers around a, you know, like improvised campfire inside one of these building shells, uh, and you know the remaining possessions that are intact do have a lot of value. So that that represented the largest cash outlay there. Uh, yeah, and another thing I come up is I had one ghoul, and it's this kind of where I miss ghoul as a template. And thank you, Wolfgang Bauer, for that. Cobalt Press. Uh, and the kingdom of ghouls. Ghoul is a template because I wanted uh, a noble in the necropolis still living, and now he's been subsisting. But consumed by his greed, you know, it's just a, rather than just a slavering ghoul, um, is actually a, uh, well, well, an armored ghoul with weapon. And I went, you know, I was like, oh man, I'm getting too technical with this. But I was like, I had to re-go back and like, no, 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 no. That, that, that's, get Strip up in the morning. Down. Get back to simplicity. I was going to do that, but I, I kept with the idea. So I just said, yeah, he's wearing armor and refinements. But he's still savage, so he's not going to talk to anybody. But not going to have a long in-depth, but yes, mad by all considerations. Just now a beast consumed with, a lifeless beast consumed with ravening hunger. So, but, you know, that's the creative bent that I think. It, so WOTC. Oh, <laughs> Man, the hits just keep on coming here. Bam! At WOTL. All right. Hey, if you can't kick them while they're down. Oh. <laughs> but when, yeah, Jason. Can you kick them? Thanks for the call in. And yeah, thanks for glimpsing how you're doing, OGL. Sounds very exciting. I, I definitely like uh, Castle Old School stuff. So that's, uh, that's something I've been turned on to recently. So let us know how it goes, man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll, we also got another call in on. Coming in on our next segment here because we're going to transition. But before we do, and, and to OGL news, I should say, before we do that, um, 
Let's uh, see what's coming up for the next podcast next week. All right. Meet the Astragalomancer. The who? The Astragalomancer. Astragalomancer. Is that the stars? And how does the Astragalomancer divine the future? Uh, I don't know. With dice. Oh, all right. Ah, all right. The Astragalomancer gazes into the die. And in its results, he sees one-page games. Hey. A lot of people out there right now are in a weird transitional period where they're shifting gears, trying different stuff. Uh, and DMs, for whom we have immense empathy, <laughs> are yeah. in the awkward position of like, oh, geez, hey, I'll learn to DM a different game. Hey, here is some short breathing room fun games. We're just going to run through a bunch of them that we love. Okay, one-page games, uh, and they're, you know, our favorites and our least favorites. Uh, the idea being that here's some stuff you can kill a little time with, uh -huh. uh, and relax. Don't don't feel this enormous pressure. You're like, oh man, you know, like I, I got to have a full-scale campaign-ready thing in a different system ready by like next week. All right, for a little breathing space, you know, work with your people. You know, get your table, uh, get your table's consent to do some things that will take a little of the pressure off of you while you retool, if that's a thing for you. Now, a lot of us are also, you know, we're sticking with the game that we were already playing and we're going to finish it by God and uh, we'll try something new some other time. But these are some of our favorites, our alternative, like, hey, let's just kill some time and like laugh. Uh, so. Yeah, and don't do what I do when, did when I uh, ran Honey Heist. Don't take an edible. Oh, dear Lord. I was like, I, I'm not high enough to run this game. Yes, it's legal in my state. And um, <laughs> I said, man, you know what I need to do? I need to be in a wrecked mood for this one. I need to be in a skewed mindset. And so I took an edible. <laughs> and I just had to basically, I, I don't even remember what I was doing. So um, just, um, yeah. Yeah, don't don't underestimate. They creep two. up on you. They're, yeah, don't just because they're little. No, no. They're, just because it's small and legal does not necessarily mean that like you know, your results may vary. Uh, the last time uh, I, I accidentally, well, not accidentally, I knew what it was. It was handcrafted by a nurse, and she made them for cancer patients, and she brought some leftovers over, and I it was like, oh man, this brownie is freaking delicious. I I thought it would like taste all gross, like. You know, weed brownie. Bleh. You know, I, I'm not a big fan and I'm not a regular user. So uh, I've spent too many years climbing up and down ladders to be screwed up. But I, I had time off and I didn't have to be anywhere. So I thought, well, I'll just have the one. Ooh. Well, apparently, like less than a quarter of that brownie was what was probably more appropriate. So, uh, yeah, for like the next two and a half hours, I was curled up uh, at the foot of the couch holding on to one of its legs, going, no, 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 man, I just got to make sure I don't float away. Yeah, they flung off. And so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, all right, well, that, that uh, yeah, be oversharing, but uh, just uh, just want to throw that in there. Just, but, uh, but these are the games. Use that, the, uh, we use with caution. Yeah, use them responsibly. Uh, yeah, your right. one-page games, you know, you may think to yourself, oh, they're so simple that I can do this while I'm absolutely blasted. No, 
Yeah, you need you need to you need to be a, 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 on your game with these. So don't think just because they're one shot game or one page games that their their simplicity belies the complexity narrated within. That's ones we're going to be covering. So besides obviously Honey Heist that we're going to allude to, <laughs> and my personal favorite, Trapped in a Cabin with Lord Byron. Oh, yeah, and bring his train bear. <laughs> it has not. Heard, he has brought his pet bear. Oh, pet bear! It yeah. is not trained. <laughs> uh, this is it, it is the best one page game I've ever seen it's the origin story for it, Mary Shelley's the, Frankenstein Mary Shelley's Frankenstein it is the true origin story of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is that indeed like that masterpiece which I so respect and love was born out of like being trapped dealing with Lord Byron all right well, that'll do it for our opener, and so tune in next week for One Page RPGs. So hopefully you'll enjoy that. But right now, we're going to get into Action OGL News, so do stick do around. Do 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 do. And welcome to Action OGL News. That's right. We're all bringing you the news fit to burn. I don't know how to really phrase that one. I kind of got lost. The do, you do the do 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 so well. I I'm sorry. <laughs> just you can't stop the signal. I just yeah. oh man, no. Yeah. I... <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy what's been going on in the OGL uh, sphere every week. Just when I think it's died down, it comes back again. And you know, I think it's finally starting to die down. We've seen the 1.2 uh, survey go out and. Uh, I think it's it's landed with a thud. Uh, it really doesn't offer anything. Uh, look, there are some segments in it that I think people were very pleased about. There were there was some chatter as people examined it that like okay, like a couple of our core concerns got got touched on here. Uh, however, the the thud mostly comes in when you realize that there is no contractual obligation of any kind to stick with this in perpetuity. Like the the adjustments they made that are pleasingly right now, you know, that, that seem like, oh, well, now that's a better deal than we had before. They're not in any way honor bound to stick with that down the road. They can always change the game later. Yeah. Uh, so the, the trust gap is just really huge. So uh, any kind of genuine effort by Wizards of the Coast to uh, you know, bring people back into the fold and say, "Hey, you know, we're 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 cutting off little pieces of this and that," is not being met with like open, trusting feelings. Uh, Partially because of the lie, and uh, we'll get into that later in this this small segment here. I'm not going to take too much time because a lot of other people, uh, mainly Linda Kodega, has just an article dropped from IO9 Gizmodo this morning, and uh, I had a chance to read it. So we'll be linking that in our uh, Facebook page. The dice is screaming, by the way. But what we'll be talking about pretty much here is that, yeah, the OGL 1.2 really hasn't offered anything. They they have a nicer tone. They're more open. And I think that with the surveys, there is some hope. But they are not going to back off canceling the uh, 1.0 OGL. They are not. And they are still going full steam ahead on the VTT, the virtual tabletop stuff. Correct. That is still a major component uh, of their their expectation is that they're willing to sacrifice some of the written publications, uh, you know, the hold that they would have over uh, producers of, you know, uh, 
written material that is resembling the OGL. Uh, anything in line with that, you're like, eh, not a big issue to us. We're really planning our big investment in VTTG tech uh, and absolute dominance of that marketplace through rigid IP control. Uh, and, ooh, uh, I mean, it's an almost Disney in the 80s level power grab, you know, that that uh, era of like, well, we you, you know, the, yeah, there's, there's many others, but um, I hate to bring it to them, but they're not going to get that. I, no, they're just, not. And, you know, um, that is a pipe dream. Also, it's having an effect. The, the, uh, the cancellation of D&D Beyond subscriptions, I think, has really upset the apple cart up at uh, Hasbro Wizards of the Coast. And up at Rhode Island, uh, Hasbro this morning also said they're laying off about a 1,000 jobs. And, of course, this isn't tied to anything. We won't know those numbers oh, until probably is, around uh, middle of June or something like that. When they, when this they is part of it. a wave of New Year cuts because, frankly, uh, 2022 in all sectors, everywhere, uh, they entered the year in 2022 with a difficulty finding people. Okay, there was a difficulty hiring new people and keeping new people uh, in the return to work post-COVID. Now, here you find yourselves in 2023 with a less than robust economy and an enormous amount of staffing that you didn't actually need. You're like now you're able to achieve the staffing needs you wanted and you find out like, oh, wow, we really don't have that much demand. We're not backed up anymore. We can let some of these people go. That's been happening in every sector across the board. So Hasbro, you know, like this, this is not related to this. Uh, no, not yet, but their their uh, stock is. But we'll still... see what's happening in like six months. You know, when the, in three to six months, you know, we'll have seen a couple of quarterlies and, Oh man, I you know, my my first yeah. quarter prediction is a well. Bath. Let's let's stick a pin on this and talk about the uh, layoffs here. It's uh, one of the intriguing things is it talks about why the uh, the the downturn in the current market is, but especially the toy buying one. Then, but this is from here. Despite strong growth in Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming, Hasbro Pulse and our licensing business, our consumer products business, underperformed the fourth quarter against a backdrop of challenging holiday consumer environment, said Chris Cox, Hadbro Chief Executive. And that is kind of an understatement, isn't it? When you really uh, take this at front. And when you look uh, back to, this is a tweet from Connor Haley at Alta Fox Capital. That, if you recall, that was the investment group that tried to lead a, a spinoff of Wizards that goes from ha uh, Hasbro directly back. Yeah, to, to really place the gaming company back in the hands of gamers, uh, which admittedly in core concept uh, is a nice idea, although it's worth mentioning that Altafox Capital's recommendations included some of the greater investment in VTTG yep. uh, and like a more video-based uh, plan. Uh, I approve of the concept of having that as a facet of your uh, you know, objectives for the future. I, I don't, you know, like I'm not anti doing it, except that for whatever reason, kind of like a crazy stalker, um, you know, like WOTC didn't just like, well, yeah, I, like, I'd like to go out with this and we'll, we'll have a nice <laughs> date and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll meet for, for dinner, you know, like, hey, this was terrific. I'll see you next week. No, it, it instantly went to like, it rubs the lotion on the skin. Uh, everything went horribly into this 
mono focused, like let's pump millions upon millions upon millions into this and only this. And like, let's divest ourselves of all the other things that we do in exchange to do this one thing. Wow. Altafox is only guilty in the sense that some of these ideas came out of their uh, yeah it's kind of like the hasbro execs that took the wor the worst parts of what their initial yeah uh investor revolt was and just went forward with it but this Ultavox, is what connor haley said Ultavox opened a door and like may not have realized how horribly like that was going to go from that point on i i'll give them that bit of credit but uh, well, they, they did try to put WOTC back in the hands of WOTC. Yeah, but this is a reply from Connor Haley. He says here in the tweet, he said, they are leaderless. Uh, we tried to put people on the board of directors that would A, care about the community, B, think strategically about these issues, and C, had subject, subject matter experience. Yeah, and Chris Cox, in a very short span, has managed to alienate both Magic the Gathering and D&D core customers. Sad. Now, uh, he goes on further to say that uh, Chris Cox handpicked Cynthia Williams to lead Wizards of the Coast, even though she had never played Magic the Gathering. This is on him. Cox had managed to alienate both Magic the Gathering and D&D fans in such a short period of time. One of the worst starts to a CEO tenure of recent memory. Alienating D&D fans ahead of the movie release is dot, dot, dot. An incredible unforced error. If MTG declines in 2023 and D&D &D falls short of expectations, Cox is in serious trouble. He got a lot of credit for MTG growth when he was president, even though most of that came from Arena, which started before he was even there. It's really unfortunate as a lot of this was completely avoidable. Now you can see the outrage in the player community. And, and it does feed into the, the tone deafness that I, I think a lot of people who are upset with Wizards are feeling like a lot of people who have been very loyal customers, uh, you know, big fans of multiple products of theirs, like me, huge fan. Okay, this is not coming from a place of I always hated them, so now this is my glory moment because it's fun and cool to hate them. Not the case here, huge fan, uh, and a great advocate of some of the things that they have created and crafted and put out into the marketplace. And this has been an enormous betrayal, like just a huge disappointment. Uh, and then to watch the incredible disingenuousness, the gaslighting, uh, the butt covering and lying, uh, it doesn't seem like anybody there is taking ownership and stepping up. Uh, right. When, when a captain on a ship has a crew that screws up badly, that captain is the one who you know, aside from having their last act be to enforce what discipline is appropriate and necessary and to start that process, that captain's career is pretty much torched. So in the naval tradition, you know, you're looking at this sense of responsibility. Well, it's my ship and everything that went wrong on it is my fault. I didn't do it, but I'm responsible for it. I am the boss. When things go wrong on my watch, it's my failure. So this is on me. None of that mentality exists in this corporate structure. There is no ownership of right. Power. And when just, but I'm a Connor genius, Haley and says you just don't leaderless. understand how genius my genius is. You'll you'll see it later. I promise. No, no, there's no genius there. There, it it's and you know Linda Codega on Gizmodo 
uh, landed another article. Uh, they landed one, and uh, they said basically that Wizards has burned up all its goodwill. And I'll turn it over here to Mike. Uh, <clears throat> well, yeah, the uh, this is sadly just the way that things work. Wizards of the Coast has been bullied into a corner and is offering concessions. Wizards has ulterior motives, of course, and its adjustments don't mean anyone must trust WOTC. But there has to be a point where the TTRPG space must agree that this incredibly clumsy backtrack scramble and massive capitulation was not the plan. Uh, out of the two scenarios, either a giant corporation miscalculated the reaction to a new legal document, or, as the conspiracy theory angle would have it, Wizards of the Coast wanted all this to happen in order to slip something past its fans. The former is much more likely. Now, I might disagree. Uh, right. Well, we'll this talk is about a this. community that literally invented the term rules lawyer. WOTC simply didn't realize how literally that would be taken. Um, right. Uh, I, you know, I know they've wanted this for a long time, and they have not been incredibly secret about it. Secret right. about it. When I talk about me being, you know, uh, having beloved conspiratorial theories about the fourth edition, uh, I, I mean that seriously. So, like, I, I feel like they've been fairly forward about what it is that they wanted, which was to get as far from the OGL as possible, as quickly as possible. Uh, as soon as the original crew, the original shakeup people who, uh, you know, Wizards of the Coast got their hands on uh, Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, rescued that brand and recycled it and put out 3 and 3.5 and like the OGL emerged and all that. Uh, as soon as that first gen of Wizards. Yeah, Peter Atkinson, Lisa Stevens, Bruce, yeah. and all the guys, that, Ryan Dance, you know, all them guys. Yeah, the old schoolers. As soon as they were gone, the move was afoot to get away from the OGL. Yep. Like, this is this is a millstone around our neck. This is why we're not making as much money as we could. We need to have total and complete IP control of all aspects of this business and to fiercely defend it and to make ourselves the only point of access for this material. Uh, as opposed to the mentality of, hey, we just tapped into the creativity of literally half a million gamers out there, and they are making their own stuff online, and everybody who wants to play that stuff has to buy our rule books. Okay, our rule books power this entire thing. You know, we're we're at the you know shiny little core of this whole operation, and we're doing great. But that wasn't good enough for the people who came later. Uh, they sacrificed the goodwill they sacrificed yep. the you know success that they had already experienced they believed that like that i'm tired of just having this bird in the hand i want the other one that's in the bush too right uh, well, this goose is laying golden eggs but it's not laying it fast enough yeah this, it's not laying platinum eggs damn it i'm gonna kill it uh they the hubris that i mentioned in previous yeah. episodes has kicked in it's that icarus thing where, well, now we get to watch the terrifying descent with melted wings and, you know, the inevitable plunge into the icy depths. So I'm so sorry. You know, I wish that this had not happened like this. But maybe it had to happen. I mean, we're divesting ourselves. And I'm just going to finish up the article here. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, you go ahead and read it. Second uh, paragraph? Yeah. Uh, divesting from Wizards of the Coast is extreme and frustrating, especially as this is a property that people have visceral emotional attachments to. 
boy, uh, like this is me inserting out of context here. I have exactly that. I'm, yeah. I'm not in a happy place about all this. Uh, you know, there's no like, yay, destroy somebody I already didn't like. No, this is this is watching like a, a family member descend into horrifying like we said last failure. Week, yeah. um, but I would hope people could redirect the love that comes from the games to the gameplay itself and not the product. Additionally, for third-party creators, WOTC says it will be keeping its claws out of products produced under 1.0 on the first page of the new OGL 1.2 in the paragraph directly under the creator badges. But who believes it? Yeah, and that's where we're going to stop reading from the article. And, and, you know, we don't want to go belabor this point too much, but they have burned up all their goodwill. And at this point a lot of people are going their own ways. And the last uh, thing that we're going to talk about in the OGL news is besides Forbes having an article on how to start a Pathfinder 2E campaign, something I never thought I would ever read. Wait, yeah, am I reading Forbes, Forbes talking about how to play Pathfinder? Yeah, I, I tend to read the business news because, you know, it's where you find out what's going on in the world uh, through the lens of financial numbers, right. know, it, it, which tends to be less like spin. Hey, I read the farmer. Less board. social commentary, less spin, and more about like here's some factual data that people need to make business decisions. So I, I have a more trusty feeling for it. And it tends to be less emotionally driven. So uh, and I found this all over the financial pages. Everybody's talking about what's happening at Hasbro and why. And you know, with Paizo ran out of an eight month supply of Pathfinder second edition core rule books. Yeah. They, in two weeks. Uh, uh, yeah, the folks over at the Pathfinder shipping dock are you know, dropping like flies from exhaustion. Well, they've hired, a, they came out with an email uh, saying that they've hired uh, additional staff and uh, temporary support to try to get through this. But uh, they, you know, it's not a, it's, it's a happy problem for them because. Yeah, uh, other people are doing layoffs and, you know, they're like, oh, we need some more bodies, like more guys on the dock. So get it out, get it out, get it out. But you know, it's it's not a sustainable model, but it is a direct correlation to how the industry is reacting to all this. And I think a lot of people are pushing aside Wizards of the Coast. It doesn't mean, again, that people are not going to play fifth edition, because I think if you look at the Black Flag project from Cobalt Press, they are working very hard to make a 5e compatible product that isn't exactly 5e. Yeah, to stay outside the boundaries of falling afoul of any version of the OGL, uh, okay. but close enough that it will still be of use to people who wish to continue playing under 5e rules. And let's be honest, uh, nobody in this podcast is going to be furious at people who are like, yeah, you know, I did a lot with 5e and I, I want to keep doing it. Well, yeah, That's keep okay. doing it. Yeah. yeah, it's a great game. Come on, keep playing it. Don't let these guys... These turkeys ruin your fun. Yeah. So, you know what? I'm not. Uh, Let them go with their sixth edition. New purchases from WOTC are not likely in the offing for me. I'm going to leave you with this. I, the material that I have, oh, I yeah. have absolutely every intention of continuing to use it, yeah. just as I always have with all other editions that I have ever been engaged in. Corey Doctorow, a. Uh, oh, Corey Doctorow. Doctorow, yes, a investigative journalist, uh, gave this a little bit, and I think it should give everybody some hope. Uh, he was talking about initially when Wizards of the Coast bought out TSR and they sent out a survey to a lot of people, uh, Dragon Magazine, other places, people have been subscribers. Got a questionnaire like, what are you doing? How are you doing it? 
And it was worse than they thought. And the results that came back were just, yeah, people, uh, 2E sales were down. And uh, it wasn't, they were down for the worst reason possible. People were still playing first edition AD&D with second edition stuff. So they decided that they had enough material that they didn't need to buy anything anymore. And that's when Wizards at that point said, you know, well, we got to change not only the direction of this game, but we've got to take ownership of it. And that's what they did with third edition. So when you look at it from the standpoint that for like the second edition, people were still using first edition material in addition to anything they would buy from second edition or whatever, it was still ongoing. And it was even worse than they thought that a lot of people also were first edition players. I mean, hey, a lot. Uh, you know, remember our complaints about the second edition, despite the fact that we adapted and liked it later. Uh, at the time, you know, in the middle of the satanic panic, uh, the capitulation to the creepy, crazy religious right and bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Like, we're going to have Tanari and Batazu so that we, we don't seem offensive. When TSR was making that second edition, they cut a lot of material that, you know, frankly, uh, nobody had respect for that level of capitulation. Okay, nobody looked at that and went, what a bold stance. No, it was capitulation to loons. Okay, giving in to crazy wacky nut jobs who are never going to be happy with you. They will not be your friend because you did this. Yeah. No matter how much so, ground you give them, they're just going to take more. The old schoolers of that era were just like, yeah, like I'm going to change the way I play this game because you want to make the crazy church lady happy. Forget it. I'll just, you know, I already got the books. I'm going to play the game the way I like to play it. And that is the essence of gamers. Homebrew. you like, We've got a rules template and dice. We don't need you after that. So hovering around the windows, you're like knocking on the outside. You're like, ah, come in. Once we have the thing that we need to do what we love doing, your usefulness has reached its end. So be really careful how you embrace being a part of like our collective experience. You have to make it positive because we don't need you. That's that's the end of the lesson. All right. And it's a good place to end up on Action OGL News. Tune in next week for WGL. OGL comes back with more breaking news. All right. And we're back. So, yeah, getting all that stuff out of the way. So, yeah, here we are with the main content, the meat of the matter of our episode. Uh, here we are talking about Witcher, the RPG Alt House Orient games. So we have the yeah, nice, CD uh, Project Red and Art House Orient games. Pondsmith and Pondsmith. Your father and son working. I am a game writer. Like right. my father before me. Mm. Oh, Mr. Pondsmith. Well, it's, it's Cody Pondsmith and Lisa Pondsmith. Ah. So it's, it's his son and his wife. But uh, yeah, here is a uh, role playing game. If you're looking for some dark fantasy, we've covered this before. Now, in our Grimdark episode, we discussed the elements of what constitutes great Grimdark, and we used as examples three games, including The Witcher, yeah. which I think was a terrific choice. Uh, but here we are looking instead very specifically at Witcher the RPG. Uh, and this will be a somewhat more specific examination of uh, the, the intricacies 
of Witcher the RPG, which there are some things here that I consider big wins in terms of uh, structuring a game that is already... There are so many properties uh, from literature that when they are developed into a playable RPG format, something gets lost. And I really don't feel like that's the case with this one. I'm, I'm... Right. Um, I'll go over my criticisms of it. I, I have a couple of this. And I, it's not any intent of design. Yeah, so, so let's let's start with like the, the criticals, and then we'll... Oh, okay, the, you want to start with we'll... the criticals? Yeah, yeah I think one want... of the things... Um, I just kind of wanted to start off with uh, both Cody and Lisa are self-inserts in here as characters. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cody is rolled off Kazmer, and uh, he gives narration. That character gives narration at Dwarf Armor. Uh, Tamarian Arbalist, and yep, um, he's a mercenary who's just basically uh, seen it all and gives you advice. And then there's Brandon of Oxenford, who is a scholar of humble beginnings, and... Uh, Yep, now he's uh, giving lectures, and that's Lisa's self-insert character. So that's a nice approach right off the bat, that they have two self-insert characters. One, a hardened mercenary who knows all about weapons and gear to explain the game to you, and the other one, Brandon of Oxenford, who gives you the more erudite and scholarly breakdown of what's being discussed. And so they right off, they give you a brief history, which that's my main criticism. In this book, the world of Witcher really isn't the focus. It's playing in the world of Witcher. And so... I don't think it's intentional, but one of the criticisms is there isn't a lot on the world of Witcher. If you go into this and you don't know a whole lot about Witcher, yes, there's enough to navigate on, but it's not, I don't think they divested quite enough to get you rooted into it. But that said, probably if you're interested in Witcher, there's other ways you can get your information. First of all, there's mini wikis about the Witcher game online. The video oh, game yeah. itself has a guide that has the guide to the world of Witcher. So you can probably pick that up pretty decently. And I'm going to assume that in the making of this, they, they grasped that an awful lot of people would have access to that information. I mean, if you're interested in Witcher the RPG, fair chance you played the game, fair chance you've read the books. Uh, the information's out there. But I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. It would have been a nice gesture to have just a little more fleshing out of the terrain. Yeah, they, they give you a map of the continent, a brief history, and then uh, recent history from Rogolf. Guys, Murray talks about living that. And then, of course, you have uh, characters. The famous the world, characters. Yep. Uh, Yennefer of Zingerberg and Dandelion. Oh, yeah. Chivet. Triss Marigold, Vernon Rausch, and Lizo of Gullet, one of, uh, in the comics and the game, one of uh, Geralt's infamous foils. Uh, just like uh, every good swordsman needs a counterpoint that Lisa is the counter is a witcher himself but uh, is of a different order where the serpent and uh, he often finds himself well they both got cross purposes because well Geralt's kind of a moral character really he, he does have a lot of principles even though very hard-bitten practical and long-lived kind of like the space marines of 40k sorry I'm not going to talk about that anymore <laughs> and that's the other thing is with this comes some baggage from another era and I'm not really going to get into this, but like, for instance, they say right here, female witchers, historically all known witchers have been made male due to the nature of the trial of grasses. Which um, I think they did a good halfway measure here. Um, they leave it to the game master to decide if there are female witchers in the game. And Siri does answer some of the questions that was posed because Andrew Zaprowski did come back later and say, well, Siri doesn't get the full treatment 
but because of her attachment to chaos magic, she can emulate many of the witcher's uh, alchemical organs and implants. So there is that, and of course she's taught in the witcher tradition of they're not fully schooled wizards, but they are spellcasters, and they only know the barest of essentials, but what they know is lethal. Their ability to cast flame, interrupt spells, uh, find and counter magics, and get rid of curses. Make... Well, the essentials that they require to survive combating creatures that... Are... Yeah, at the time, yeah. the world of the Witcher, a, a riveting has happened, and creatures from the other have come here, and they are not... Already a world with a mix of monsters, because there's been many other of these transformative events, and of course it comes at a political time. Yeah, it has happened before. And it will happen again. So they only give you a few races in here, elves and dwarves, and they give you witchers. And they also talk about how to play witchers with, because they are a little overpowered to some other characters, but... If you have a small group, you could run witchers with, you know, like, different specializations and everybody gets... Yeah, there's witch. different orders, which yeah. we talk about in another book. However, some of the other more fun is to... Well, like, I would think it would be fun to have one person be a witcher, because, uh, like, even witchers have considerable limits, especially... Their emotional... Uh, new ones. Yeah, their emotional attachments to things. And, and well, they're they, just like space organization. I, I said I wasn't going to talk about that. Yes, their ability, inability to feel fear dulls other emotions as well. Yeah, everything is, like, you know, muted. <laughs> they don't get wildly excited about much. Yeah. They don't mourn, really, although they do feel sorrow. Oh, look, it's not that they don't feel it, but the intensity is missing, so. Uh, which also means they're not easily distracted. Mm -hmm. So, Well, yeah, their purpose was to fight monsters and demons. And they do that exceedingly well. But the best thing about any Ralt Talzorian game is the life path. And this one, you're not going to be disappointed. So I'm oh, going to turn it over to Oh, boy. Mike. Yeah, see, this is a carryover from the Ralt Talzorian, uh, you know, tradition that when they make a game, uh, they do tend to give a proper amount of space to where did you come from and what impact does that have on your present character? Okay, that... I think it's an enviable sentiment, okay? I, I know that there are some people who are like, you know, like, every character should be a blank slate, came from nowhere, satched from an egg, instantly. You know, just, or this character fell out of the sky. I don't want any attachments to anything. A experience is how you develop skills. So, you know, I, I feel really comfortable with systems that say, like, you get this, this, and this because you came from here and you did that right up until the moment before you went on the road to be an adventurer. So in the life paths here, uh, <clears throat> they cover uh, regional, you know, and, and like the familiar backgrounds from the novels, the uh, Nilfgaardian, the Elderland, uh, the Northern Kingdoms. Uh, you, they, they cover the homelands and then they move down to uh, familial and parental situations like you know the, the greater scope of family and then of course the most immediate family right uh, and the family fate parental fate Ooh. and Tra just spoiler alert tragedy looms family status most influential friend uh, siblings uh, and your relationships with them uh, your life events fortune or misfortune, allies and enemies, romance. They develop rich backgrounds for characters. You have a history 
in this game, you know, where if you make proper use of this, like you have a connection to things and it also hands the DM a toolkit uh, to make these connections a part of gameplay, which, I mean, if you're a fan of the novels or a fan of the video game, I like, if you came looking for like, I want it to be basically like, uh, you know, keep on the borderlands in 1978, then this is not the game for you. I'm just going to rip that bandaid off and say, no, forget that. This is a different level. If you want it to be full of mechanics that are reminiscent or mechanics and connections that are reminiscent to both the novels and the video games, then yes, this is the book for you. Right. And you can also choose yourself. They leave it up to you to yeah, choose. This, Make, this if you want a narrative story that oh, my parents are dead, I don't have any siblings to live, everybody I was friends with growing up is dead, I'm just a blank slate that you can write anything on with. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that, but man, I, yeah, know, I know, right? You're just robbing yourself at this point. Yeah, and you know, it, they go through, and then they have one separate just for The Witcher, because <laughs> well, your experiences are going to be vastly different from the majority of people. But then they have professions, which Bard, well, yeah, you already know, horny Bard, Dandelion, it started here. <laughs> but their special ability, busking, is a unique ability, like like the system out of uh, Cyberpunk Red. The Bard is a wonderful thing to have around because not only are they great social characters, they are also able to perform and get anywhere in the town, uh, in a town square, tavern, or any place where there's a gathering of folk, whether it be even, even just a circle of traders in a caravan near a tree. They can rake in money for their performances because everybody's desperate for distractions and entertainment. And uh, of course, you have a craftsman, which they can. Fixing your armor and gear is important here because it often breaks. And, of course, the criminal. To practice paranoia of the rogue. And healers, doctors with the healing hands, put you, patching you back up together in a fight. That's good. And, of course, mage. And then, of course, what probably most people end up playing is man-at-arms, which I love their ability. Tough as nails. <laughs> Not a collection of quitters. <laughs> right. And uh, merchant and then priest. Yes, the initiative of the gods. You have the power of, to appeal to the gods for miracles. And then, of course, the witcher itself. Yeah. And witcher training is a, a whole thing. And it takes a while to build that up because it's so vast. So that is the one. If you're worried like, hey, the witcher can do all these things that almost all the other characters can do. Well, that takes time for them to train. That's why they have that very long life near limitless and of course a lot well they live as long as they want until they're killed ideally in this you're not playing a witcher with like hundreds of years of experience right uh, you know the assumption is that you're fairly recent and then you accumulate these people around you that yeah in the last couple 50 uh years to the last decade is about your time frame uh and at that stage like you have the essential witcher training and the knowledge of the spells and things like that uh, but you know i mean you haven't been practicing them for centuries. You're not that good. Yeah, you're not going to start out. And you're not Geralt of Rivera. You know. Yeah, as as is well shown in the novels. Yeah. Witchers are prone to death just as much as anyone else. They just live a lot longer. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else gets in the way, they could be around for quite a while. But they keep throwing themselves into the buzzsaw over and over again. So the odds are not great on it. Yeah, and people that's <laughs> don't look what... forward to retirement. <laughs> so this is a really fun setting built in with, yes, a super class, but also there's other classes. The mercenary, let alone um, the merchant, 
is in a fascinating approach to the character, the trade value of goods and getting things around, and their skill tree provides that you can play multiple classes of the same profession, or multiple people can be playing the same profession and completely different. For instance, like the priest skill tree has three uh, trees that are each different. Now you might say, well, the preacher and the fanatic sound pretty familiar. Okay, right, a preacher is more, you know, eh. They, they tend to do the flock and, and they tend to try to convert people. But the druid is a completely different type of priest who cleaves to the old ways. And the fanatic, of course, you know, flagellants. And yeah, you're more crazed and, and intense priests that see this as an apocalyptic event. And as a girl to progress, as I've lived through five apocalypses so far. And again, the, the witcher's skill tree is also like you have the spell sword, the mutant, and the slayer. Each one going into a different specialty so again like mike says if you want to have more than one witcher in a yeah. party it's possible but generally speaking you want to just have one but they work very well together as a team and that's what the fascinating thing is is Geralt has always re tried to remain away from people because not be he seems like misanthropic and bitter and maybe he is a little bit uh, well, but he's look, lost even so many... with reduced feelings, you know, he's basically watched whole generations die and like, you know, then they watched their kids die and then their grandkids and their great grandkids. There's only so much value he's ever going to get out of being close to people. It's the whole Connor McLeod Highlander thing. Yes. It's, it's really hard to make friends with people you know are going to be gone. Like, well, I took a long trip and everybody I knew in this entire region is gone. Like, a, maybe I can run into their great-grandkids. Every now and then you're seeing faces that seem vaguely familiar. Uh, and you're thinking, could that have been, you know, relative of so-and-so? Sorry, you know, I, I'm not going <laughs> to... I, I can't fault Geralt Arruia for back Right, but he, as he learns, he does need other people. Yeah. He, he does need... Even with all their complications and annoyances. Dandelion is useful for getting information out of people without him having to beat them. <laughs> I sometimes have to acknowledge that your ability to find information is useful without me having to beat it out of them. Yeah, a lovely a little conversation skills goes a long way. Uh, although, you know, the bard has the slight advantage of the fact that he's not viewed with hatred and suspicion as <laughs> some kind of mutant leftover of a darker time. Comfort themselves, they're not needed anymore. Yeah, I wouldn't be so sure about that. Are you really sure about that? Yeah, it's you've had a good you've had a good run for about 60, 70 years here, and uh, yeah, yeah, it seems like everything is breaking your way, but you, like, you don't know when that uh, tumbling down. So yeah, the magic system in this, I'm going to go over uh, just real quickly. It's better to have a Witcher and not need it than to oh, need a Witcher yeah. and not have it. So with um, <laughs> with spells and magic there's different uh progressions rituals are here as well as just the basic spells and going back and forth to the invocations of divine magic the spells themselves require elemental attunements and various celestial and other phenomenons along with rituals to do so the magic system is very robust and even if it's a bit brief it gives a lot of punch and of course they it left it open to supplements with the magic of chaos is now out. so that really expands that i thought the magic system was a little weak but i knew that they were going to come out with another supplement they did however provide the essentials yes. which i i think that uh 
for a starting game for a single if they wanted to get everything into one rule book which again remember i am a big fan of that like yeah uh, in the tradition of warhammer 40k uh, or sorry not warhammer fantasy, fantasy role playing, role playing right. it all came out in one book uh talislanta it all came out in one book um this they have achieved that with a modest sized volume mm -hmm. at a price that does not kick your pocketbook uh oh yeah you'll be right off playing in the witcher and yeah months of adventure i mean before you'd even have to look at this up but if you did want to look at a more robust magic system yeah. or more spells they are providing it and it's of, of course pretty um cost effective as well but the other part i really liked that they paid attention to detail with was which in the video game crafting items and alchemy is very important to the witcher and they do not disappoint on this thing they have again this is another one of the mechanics from the video game i mean it's a facet of the literature but it is a you know component of the video game experience that it has been included very appropriately in the game now, the Witcher, of course, carries two weapons, an adamantite sword and a cold iron adamantite forge that is useful against outer planar and other creatures from the other. And then a silver sword useful against more fey and uh, diabolical creatures. And in this, um, they use that same system. We're going with certain types of metals and alchemy. Um, you can get different type of effects added to weapons. So you can, as a craftsman, you can really spend a lot of time supplementing not only your gear, but the gear of your friends, making you an essential member. Like, you know, hey, I made that axe that you split the skull of that troll with. And armor that, you know, is above the others as you collect items and find things throughout the game. So there are lots of diagrams in here. And this is a really good thing is they also make a distinction between the elder races, the elves and the dwarves and humans. In, and they're the way that they make armor and weapons. And of course, uh, the alchemy section is going to be useful to those who want to be an alchemist, as well as, you know, there's a typical uh, good combat system that comes with every Ralph Halsorian game. And this one is really focused on melee combat for obvious reasons. <laughs> but also having a verbal combat Yay. system, which I really appreciate. Uh, that throws a little something in there for the people who find themselves in. Uh, courtly intrigue, which, you know, uh, let's face it, books, video games, full of that. So uh, having a sort of social combat where you're trying to achieve a goal uh, and you are being opposed, that smart call on their part. Yeah, the verbal combat, which is broken into two parts, which is an emphatic attacks, which are like seduce, persuade, appeal, befriend, and antagonistic attacks. Pardon us which are deceive, ridicule, intimidate, and the defenses against them, which are ignore, I always ignore, counter, argue, change the subject, disengage, and emphatic tools of romance, study, and antagonistic tools of imply and bribe. Useful in almost a paper-scissors-like fashion to each other, but also useful for players to engage their enemies without having to, well, I just make a diplomacy role or persuade. And of course, an essential bestiary has been included. Right. Uh, but, you know, well, we're going to take a quick break and I'm going to get back to that phone call and we'll be right back. All right. And we're back. Hey, yeah, just had to take a quick phone call. We're back right there. So we were talking about the bestiary. 
So, oh, you know, it does cover the most essential and familiar monsters that I, I believe are absolutely appropriate. Uh, that I, I, you wouldn't want to have a Witcher game without them. <laughs> right. Well, there's ogres and trolls and the gamut. There's even inclusion. In, I think it's in the Game Master screen. It has orcs. Ooh. And uh, there's some goblins too. I think another. But yeah, there's very. They also salt away. I think in the Game Master screen, the halflings, and I think in the uh, another one of the supplements, there's gnomes too. So yeah, you get halflings and gnomes out of it. Eventually, get yeah, orcs as a you can play them or their enemies, whatever you want to do. Witcher encourages you not to commit genocide because the orcs are pretty much just at this point uh, a remnant of what they were, thanks to the dwarves. <laughs> and they, yeah, short, short story of the dwarf history. They won their war versus the orcs, and also with the elves. So. But yeah, the elves' kingdoms are a really tragic study in here, so it's not the happy forgotten realms or token elves that you're dealing with in this one. So a lot of non-human races are here, with the dwarves pretty much settling in more or less with the humans at this point. And they're, they're pretty chummy with one another. Although the dwarves are kind of like, you and your religions. <laughs> you people get the craziest ideas. <laughs> <laughs> we follow the same gods, but boy, you guys just... Yeah. Whole new level of crazy. All right. <laughs> it's like a sack of cats in there. <laughs> terrified of what's in your heads. But yeah, crafting adventures with monsters and this is kind of one of the strengths of the, I think, of the Witcher game is that you can focus on learning the monsters through the eyes of not only the Witcher or a scholar, a scholar or a wizard but experiencing each one is a challenge because they monsters can be slightly different from one another even though they are the same type. Yeah, and that's a mechanic difference here where like these are templates, okay? The, your monster may vary so yeah, watch out, your your Witcher DM if they are exercising their their prerogative. Uh, we'll be keeping it fresh. Not every ogre is the same as every ogre. Okay, it, it's uh, yeah, ogres and Grawl's experience are loudish and, and dumb and brutish and not very. They're prone to take a few uh, head of cattle, bashing their brains out and shout and roar at anyone they see. But they're quick to retreat because they realize humans are numerous, and although easily startled, return in great numbers. <laughs> they're that smart. I, I love that you've made the humans the sand people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll make a lot of noise. The Tuscan Raiders, you know, they're easily frightened. But they will return soon and in greater numbers. So right on. That's humans for you right there, okay? And somebody just <laughs> described us as a bunch. <laughs> now, I I want to make a final like uh, note of approval where uh, I feel like this has a lot of strong suits. We we had a couple of small criticisms, you know. They're they're not, you yeah, know, these is... are not major structural errors. These were like maybe a few cosmetic things we didn't think were ideal. Uh, but the crafting systems of verbal combat set this. And again, with the heavy emphasis on hand-to-hand um, -hand combat in Witcher, as well as uh, ranged combat, which you think, well, those guys made Cyberpunk, they'd have ranged combat down. That's completely different in this one. It Armor uh, absorbs damage in this one, and, you know, your wound points, uh, death comes easy in this game. So charging headlong in every combat, the sword's drawn, yeah, may maybe. not be your best one. So that tough of nails that the mercenary has is because... 
they, they, need to, they live through a lot of things that have killed lesser folk. Oh, man. And, uh, uh, you know, recommendation uh, would be, you know, again, if you have a team and they have interlocking strong suits where, like, you know, everybody has their particular strong suit, everybody, you know, if you have some glimmering or can find a way to determine what's out there that is troubling folks before you go fight it, having that forewarned, forearmed status will help you a lot. Yeah, yeah and the style... Uh, section which Ralph Talzarian talks about, you know, style over substance. I think Corey did a really good job explaining the world through the eyes of his mercenary and how grim and hardened a lot of folk are and how desperate they are for drink, whores, and uh, distractions. They need lots of diversion. Um, this sets the world aside of, with its grim dark right away. Is that it's a horrible world, and people live short, brutish lives in it. But there is beauty worth saving, and there is uh, glory to be had. Um, and it's worth—it's a world worth fighting for, and it's still there. You just have to find it. And I think that's a big style that sets Witcher apart from a lot of other fantasy role-playing games, is that while it is grimdark, it is not 100%. Its future is not set. And if you don't want to follow the novels or the games or anything else... Your version of the continent may vary. I, I'm going to borrow the uh, quote from the end of the movie Seven, uh, just uh, Morgan Freeman's narration. The world is a fine place and well worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. <laughs> and there's a lot of struggle there. And, you know, there's different types of games. So if you're used to having a fantasy role-playing game and you're looking for something a little bit different and edgier, yes, definitely Witcher is an edgelord game, but it does it really well. It doesn't take the edgelord to the ultimate degree of that. They can just do anything and kill everything and they never ever die. Yeah, yeah. Not but, not the case, you know. I mean... It takes a team of people and to uh, overcome some of these if, dangers. If you are unwary and thoughtless and relying entirely on, uh, like, having a, a boost to your ability to complete tasks, which is a principal character of the Witcher mechanic in this, Witcher training... Uh, half the value of your Witcher training is a die adjustment that alters the results of everything you attempt in your favor. And the longer you have been a Witcher and the greater your degree of training and expertise, the more impressive that becomes. But in the beginning, we're just talking about a one-point boost to anything you attempt to do. Well, yeah, everybody starts at four. If, they, if you can tie it to your Witcher training, you've got a plus one. And that's great. That is terrific. But that will not keep you alive if you just throw yourself into the grist mill like an idiot. So, this game, uh, edgy without edge lording. Right. It, it is edgy, and you know a lot of people are like, oh, edge lord. No, no, edge lord's a completely different thing. Um, you have to work hard in this game to get ahead, and it, it. But it is worth fighting for, and it is worth getting. I think that um, with it all. The uh, combat system in here uh, from Raltel's already is very well suited with its critical hits and decapitation. Yeah, Telsorian's a known quantity, man. You know, There's a lot of limb, limb ripping off here and bashing things around. So, yeah, have at and enjoy uh, playing with you. It's a great treat, and I, I recommend it as if you need a diversion from your normal fantasy game and you have plenty of experience, you, skills as playing in a fantasy, your skills of an artist, or if you have a DM, will not be lost here. It will be. Uh, 
easily to transfer to this one. But uh, yeah, there's also a lot of backstory to this. And one of the other minor attractions is you might have that guy at your table who will tell you, well, that's not technically in the books. Or, you know what? Tell this guy, this is our story and this is the story we're going to tell in the continent. Yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah the the literary straitjacket it has to be exactly like it says the books no it doesn't uh, welcome to rpgs okay uh, that is why DD is not tolkien the role-playing game exactly okay right <laughs> innovate a little <laughs> get out of your comfort zone champ. yeah but uh definitely a, a great game and i think one of the underappreciated in this uh, time of transition so but all right, well, hey, the snow is starting to fall out there, isn't it? So we're yeah, gonna... I'm going to have to take off shortly. Yeah, so we're going to end it here. Uh, thanks for putting up with, and uh, hopefully you enjoy. Check us out on our Facebook page, and remember, of course, uh, uh, follow us, and uh, you can also help support the podcast by directly uh, being one of our uh, supporters. You can uh, download the Anchor app, and that will give you all the directions necessary to point you in that direction. So until next time, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.